Man, you can be seated. Uh, get your Bibles out, whether that's a physical copy of God's Word or if you're going with a device, doesn't really matter how you uh, look at it as long as you're looking at it this morning. Um, unfortunately, because of our front screen issue, um, none of the points of the sermon or the verses that I'll uh, be reading will pop up on the screen, so um, um, you can at least take a look at the text this morning, and then there will, there will be numerous other verses that I'll bring in from other texts that you might just want to jot down uh, as in way of uh, taking notes or remembering what was, uh, what was said this morning. We are in Mark chapter 10, and we are coming to the conclusion of the 10th chapter of Mark. And what is about to happen or what is happening is that Jesus is on his way to the cross. We have uh, made the turn in Mark chapter 9 where Jesus uh, stopped talking to the crowd uh, specifically. And he began to just talk to the core, those uh, 12 disciples who had left all behind to follow him. And so what we see is beginning in chapter 9 and and now moving into the end of chapter 10, Jesus is turning his face towards Jerusalem, uh, towards the cross. Uh, we pick up today with him coming into and then out of the city of Jericho, which is located about uh, 15 miles southwest of Jerusalem. You might be uh, familiar with um, uh, this particular city, as is told earlier in the gospel stories uh, about uh, the Good Samaritan as he was coming out of Jerusalem going down to Jericho. This is a very treacherous road where uh, uh, many people uh, lost their lives or had all of their possessions stolen from them because it was uh, uh, an area that was very steep in its decline coming out of Jerusalem down to Jericho, through the mountains there. It was a very treacherous area full of thieves and bandits um, who uh, sought to do nothing but uh, to do harm uh, to those that they came in contact with. And so Jesus is coming through Jericho, and he is beginning his ascent into the city of Jerusalem because as we get into chapter 11... Uh, we get into that final week of Jesus' life. What is very interesting about Mark's gospel is that Mark takes uh, the life of Jesus and he writes all of the life of Jesus basically in the first eight chapters. And then once he gets to chapter 9, what we find in chapter 9 is that uh, Mark basically reduces the final few weeks of Jesus' life into his last eight chapters. So we know what's most important to Mark. What's most important to Mark is that those final days of the life of Jesus because that is what he is going to concentrate uh, the, uh, over half of his gospel on. And so that's kind of where we arrive today in Mark chapter uh, 10. So let's look at these verses together, beginning in verse uh, 46. 
And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. Now, I just said that Jesus had shifted from crowd ministry to core ministry, which doesn't mean that Jesus still doesn't have a crowd that's following him. When I, when I mean that Jesus had changed in Mark chapter 9 to the core was that his teaching and his focus was, was no longer predominantly on the crowds that followed him, but that core group of men that had been with him from the outset of his ministry. Um, so, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. And, and this word for cry out is, 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 I mean, of course you kind of get the idea, crying being loud, but, but this is an, an unusual volume level. This is a, a cry like no other cry. And he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Isn't that just like people? When somebody needs Jesus, and somebody's crying out for Jesus, and it makes other people uncomfortable that they're crying out for Jesus, what often happens? Can you just please be quiet? Can you please just stop being so emotional? But I love the way Bartimaeus responded. But he cried out all the more. Why? Because when you're in trouble... When you're in need, when, when you have a situation that is far beyond anything or, that you can do about it or far beyond anything that anyone else can do about it, and you know that somebody who can do something about it is close by, what do you do? You don't cry less, you cry even more. And what did he say? The same statement, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man saying to him, watch these three verbs. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. Now watch his response in three verbs. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? If you were here last week, hopefully that sounds very familiar. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, or Rabboni, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. I want to give you three simple truths from this morning's text. Uh, this text says a whole lot more than three simple truths, but uh, for the sake of time, we're just going to keep it at three today. So here's the question, the first question that I asked myself in preparing to preach this that I want to ask you this morning. And that is, what does this passage teach us or teach me about Jesus? So that's question number one. We got, we're going to have three questions that make up the three points. What does this passage teach? teach me or teach us about Jesus. Because what's most important to learn in the Bible is not what the Bible has to say about you as much as it has what it has to say about Jesus. 
Why? Because Jesus is the grand character of the Bible. He is what the Bible is all about. Well, here's what this passage teaches me about Jesus. It teaches me that his ears are open to our cry. This passage teaches me that Jesus' ears are open to our cry. Now, let me say this to you. Not only does this passage teach me that Jesus' ears are open to our cry, but the entirety of the Bible teaches me that Jesus is open to our cry. Psalm chapter 18, verse 6. I'm going to give you several verses out of the Psalms. So these, these are all going to be Psalms. So here we go. Psalm 18, 6. Psalm 18, 6. The Bible says, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Psalm 18, 6. Psalm 120, verse 1. Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Psalm 50, 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Psalm 50, 15. Psalm 10, 17, this is our last one that I will give you. Our Lord, O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. So here's what we see all throughout the Bible. And Lord knows I, could have, I probably could have given us a hundred different Bible verses this morning that would substantiate the claim uh, and, the, and the working of Jesus in our text today, that, that Jesus has his ear open to the, cry, to, to the cry of individuals. He hears our cry. He is ever listening for our cry. But something else this teaches me about Jesus is not only is uh, Jesus' ears open to our cry, but he is eager to respond to our cry. Jesus is eager to respond to our cry. The Messiah on, his final, on the final leg of his journey to die for the sins of the world, and yet he takes time to stop for a blind beggar. Let, let me ask you a question this morning. Uh, let, let's insert ourselves into this story for just a moment, and let's see how different we are than Jesus, okay? I think this helps us at times, because a lot of times we don't necessarily see the vast difference between uh, how Jesus uh, lived and how we live. And that is, how many of us, if it, I mean, think about it, Jesus is days away from dying on the cross. He's days away from dying on the cross. Now, let me ask you this question. If somehow you knew that you had but just a few days to live, how would you react to those who were in need? You, you knew that your death was impending, that, that just a, in, in just a few short days that 
your life on this earth would be over with. How many of you, on your way to do whatever it is that you were doing, in particular, on your way to your death, would, would stop and have any time for somebody who was in great need, crying out to you, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many of us might, if we stopped at all, we might say, Hey, I got problems a whole lot worse than you have. You, you're blind, but I'm about to die. I don't, I don't have time to stop and, and fool with you. I don't have time to stop and mess with you. Uh, 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 I got, I've got too much on my plate. I've got too much on my mind. I, there, there, there's too much that's occupied my mental space. But here's what we see about Jesus. That even in the face of his impending death, Jesus is eager to respond to our cry. Look at verse 49 in your Bible. And Jesus stopped and called him. Jesus stopped and called him. Does this not make you love Jesus all the more? While the multitudes were not interested in the beggar, Jesus was, and he still, and he still is, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Look at verse 51. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? Not the first time that Jesus has asked this question. As a matter of fact, last week when we read the story of the disciples, James and John asking uh, if they could sit on his right or left hand, Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? So this is the second time this question has recently been asked. This is a wonderful, simple question that God continues to ask us today. Sometimes we go without when God would want to give us something simply because we will not answer this question. And we do not have, as James 4.2 says, because we don't ask. Jesus asked the question with full knowledge that this man was blind. He knew what he needed and what he wanted, but God still wants us to tell him our needs as a constant expression of our trust and reliance on him. Notice also that Jesus asked the blind beggar the same question that he asked the disciples back in Mark chapter 10, verse 37. What do you want me to do for you? Listen, and here's what we need to understand about prayer. This is not a sermon on prayer, but here's a little sermonette on prayer. Jesus answered both of their questions according to God's will. It was God's will, James and John, drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism of Jesus. But listen, remember what Jesus said about sitting on his right or left hand? He said, that's not up for, to me to decide. As a matter of fact, listen what had already been told the disciples and what had already been decided. And this is why Jesus said that it's not up to me whether you sit on the right or left hand. Because look at what Jesus had told him in Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said that to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious th throne, 
You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, here's a wonderful thing about prayer, is that we ask God, and then God answers according to His will, not according to our request. But listen, you can't get what God wants to give if you don't make the request. You see, prayer doesn't twist God's arm into giving you something. Prayer is the means by which God gives us what He wants to give us. And when we began to realize that in prayer, that prayer is the means by God gives us what we need, that we will also begin to understand that what God gives us is what we need. Listen, always remember this about prayer. If you knew what God knows, you would answer your prayer just as God does. You see, He knows our need better. Jesus granted the blind beggar's request. What did He say? Rabbi or Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said, go your way. Your what? Your faith has made you well. Can, can, I need to stop right there, and I, I, need to, I need to unpack that for just a minute. We live in a day of faith healers. Now, listen, I believe in healing. I believe God heals. I believe we should pray for healing, okay? I don't believe in faith healers. I don't believe any one particular individual has the gift of healing. It is a spiritual gift, but also the thing about spiritual gifts is that spiritual gifts are not always permanent. It's not something that we operate in all the time. But here is a passage that faith healers and those who supposedly have this perpetual gift of healing use to substantiate their teaching on faith healing. But here's what's interesting. The Bible has two words, two different Greek words for to be made well. To be made well. The first one means to be made well physically. But here in this case, the word is sozo. It's easy to remember. S-O-Z-O. It's the word sozo. And sozo simply means this. It is the Greek word that means salvation. Jesus says your faith has made you well, your faith has saved you. His faith in the Son of David is what has saved him. Why? Because this man needed something far more than the healing of his physical sight. He needed the healing of his soul. He needed to be saved. And I'll explain in a minute why, why 
the, how the healing and the salvation go together. So that's question number one. What do we learn about Jesus? Question number two is, what does this passage teach us about ourselves? So we see what this passage teaches us about Jesus, that Jesus is uh, uh, eager to hear our response, uh, eager to respond to our cry, that Jesus, uh, uh, his ears are open to our cry. But what does this teach us about ourselves? Well, number one, it, it teaches us uh, our condition before Christ. If you're saved this morning, this is a story that is a great reminder of what you looked like before you came to know Christ. You were a blind beggar. That's your condition. A blind beggar. So we were blind before we came to know Christ. Now, blindness in Scripture is a physical malady which points to a spiritual reality. It's a physical malady, M-A-L-A-D-Y, malady that points to a spiritual reality. John chapter 9 talks about this. John chapter 9 talks about this. You know the story. It's the story of the blind man. In John 9, 1 through 3, it says, And as he passed by, speaking of Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi or Rabboni or Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? <clears throat> and Jesus answered, it's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed through him. You, you see, blindness in Scripture, when Jesus is healing blind eyes, Jesus is really saying much more than that. Jesus is just not saying... I can heal blind eyes, but Jesus is saying, if you believe that blindness is the cause of sin, then here's the way you heal blindness, is that you forgive sin. And oh, that becomes the major question, right? Because you remember back in Mark 2, 7, they had this big discussion, and they said, what, who do, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? When Jesus healed those who were blind, he was proclaiming his power to forgive sin. He's claiming to be God in the flesh. So scripture teaches our condition before meeting Christ is blindness. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4, Paul says this, in the case in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. So we are blind, but not only are we blind, but we are beggars. What does this passage teach us about us? We're blind and we're beggars. Let me read a passage of Scripture out of Isaiah chapter 55, 1 through 7. It would be on the morning that I want to use a lot of Scripture uh, up on the screen that the screen would not be working. So, But listen to Isaiah 55, 1 through 7. This is a prophecy concerning the Messiah. It says, this is what Isaiah is saying that the Lord is saying to his people, or to people. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. 
Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. You wonder why he called out, son of David, have mercy on me? Because this man was connecting Jesus all the way back to the promise of David that Isaiah reminds us of in Isaiah 55. Behold, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Now listen to this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will pardon abundantly. Mark wants us to see that we are all blind beggars before God. Before God, we are, as Revelation 3.17 says, we are poor, pitiful, wretched, naked, and blind. This is perhaps the major stumbling block that keeps people from coming to Christ. They want to commend themselves and their good deeds. God has to open their eyes to their true condition before him. We have nothing in ourselves to merit his salvation. We are spiritually blind sinners, and the only way we can come to him is to ask for mercy and not merit. Here's my last question, or second to last question, that I want to ask this morning. Not only do we, do we see Jesus, and do we learn about who Jesus is, not only do we learn about who we are, but what we need to realize, it's not really a question, it's a statement, I'm sorry. We need to realize that we can stop the Savior with our cry. We need to see our condition, but we also need to realize that we can stop the Savior with our cry. I've, I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Day the Son, the S-O-N, Stood Still. You see, Jesus is not deaf to our cry. He hears us when we call. The New King James Version says, uh, says, uh, uses this passage in this way. It says, that so Jesus stood still. When he heard the man call, Jesus stood still. The one who gave Joshua the ability to make the sun stand still, stand still at the cry of a beggar. Isn't that amazing? Notice that he did not cry out. In Mark 10, 46, we learn the blind beggar's name. Notice what he didn't cry out. He didn't cry out his name. He cried out Jesus' name. Why, why is that important? Why is it important that 
Bartimaeus didn't cry out his name, but cried out Jesus' name. Well, number one, and what's interesting here, is that out of all the miracles in the Gospel of Mark, this is the only miracle where we actually know the person's name. It's interesting. It's the only miracle where the name of the person who was healed is given. What does Bartimaeus' name mean? Well, the B-A-R in his name, Bar, simply means son of Timaeus. bar Timaeus. So Timaeus means honorable. So he was the son of honor. His cry was not based on who he was, on his merit as a son of honor, but his cry was based on mercy. You see, the way you stop Jesus with your cry is you don't cry out, Jesus, it's the son of honor over here. It's it's the good son. It's the son who's done no wrong. It's the son that's worthy of honor. No, you you cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, the, the kind of cry that Jesus hears, the kind of cry that stops Jesus and makes Jesus stand still is the cry of mercy. It's the cry of mercy. You see, what you don't want to ask Jesus for is, you don't ask Jesus, Jesus, give me what I deserve. Amen? That's called justice. You you don't cry out and say, Jesus, I deserve to have my sight. I want you to give me the justice that's due. Because if Jesus gave us justice, what he would give every single one of us is hell. But what does God give us? He gives us grace. And what is grace? It's God giving us what we don't deserve. And he gives us mercy, which is what? Bartimaeus is crying out for, and mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. In grace, we get what we don't deserve, and in mercy, we get what we don't deserve. Never plead with God based on merit. Always plead on mercy. We all have merited hell and hell alone. Yet daily God bestows grace and mercy to those who shun him. However, one day God's justice is going to roll down like a river on those who have sinned and shunned his mercy and his grace. Grace, God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy, God not giving us what we deserve. Not only does Jesus hear the cry of mercy, but Jesus hears the messianic cry. Notice what he said. He says, Jesus, son of David. What what does that mean? What does Jesus mean? Savior. What does son of David mean? The king, the Messiah, the promised prophet. What is he saying? My king and my savior. And I love what Romans 10, 13 says. Anybody know Romans 10, 13 by heart? Romans 10, 13 says, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen, when, 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 when a human being cries from the depths of their heart, 
son of David, Savior, King, have mercy on me. That's the kind of cry that Jesus listens to. He hears the cry of mercy, and he hears the cry of Messiah. But this does bring us to the third and final question this morning. How should we respond to this passage? So what does this passage teach me about Jesus? That Jesus, his ears are open to my cry. It it, it teaches me that Jesus is eager to respond to my cry. What does this teach me about about me? This teaches me that, um, uh, that I'm in trouble right? Uh, that, that, that my condition is, is terrible, that I'm blind, and that I'm a beggar, and that I need Jesus. But, but it also teaches me that, that there is a particular cry or cries that Jesus hears that when I cry out for him in mercy, when I cry out to him as Messiah, he hears my cry. But this lastly, how should we respond to this passage? How should we respond to this passage? Well, there's really only two ways to respond. Some here this morning or watching online need to respond by receiving their sight. There there are some, maybe this morning, that still don't have spiritual eyes. What what am I saying there? What what I'm saying is is that you you haven't been saved. You're, You're like Bartimaeus was before he cried out to the Lord that you are poor, pitiful, wretched, and blind. You you may not know that right now. But you are. If you, if you don't have Jesus, that is your standing. And listen, I'm not trying to stir up emotions this morning, but I am trying to stir up in your heart a reality. And here's the reality. Listen. This would be the last time that Bartimaeus would have an opportunity to cry out to Jesus. He didn't know that. He didn't know Jesus was headed to the cross. He didn't know Jesus was about to die in just a few days. But listen, here's what here's the reality. The reality was is that Bartimaeus cried out at just the right time. Why? Because this was his last time. And this morning I simply want to remind us of what the Bible teaches us concerning Jesus. Concerning salvation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6 2, he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable, favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Listen to me. Jesus is passing by right now. How do you know that Jesus is passing by right now? It's because I'm speaking about him, and you're listening about him, and Jesus has so contrived the circumstances of your life and my life right now so that he could pass by, and all you have to do is cry out to him, Savior, King, have mercy on me, and he will. Don't put off today what you think you might be able to do tomorrow because tomorrow may never come. This opportunity may never present itself again. Some of you may say, you know what, I'm just a little little reluctant to call out to Jesus because I can't see him. I can't see Jesus. 
You want me to call out to somebody that I can't even see? All I would say is take heart. Bartimaeus couldn't see him either. (laughs) Bartimaeus couldn't see him either. You must call out to him by faith to experience his reality. And this leads me to my last point. So there's some of us in this room that we need to receive sight, and then there's many of us in this room, this passage is here to teach us that we need to relieve others of spiritual blindness. We don't have the, we don't have the power to heal blindness, not physical blindness. We can pl- pray for blind people to be healed. Many of you remember uh, um, Curtis Holman, and uh, Curtis and I have had conversations about early on in his life how he had oil dumped on him, sprinkled on him. He had more hands laid on him than anybody should ever have laid on in their entirety of their life for people praying that his blindness would be cured. And Curtis always reminded me of that passage in John chapter 9. Curtis said, look, he said, I finally realized that I was born blind for the glory of God. And if God wanted to heal me of my blindness, it would be for his glory. And if God left me in my my blindness, it would be for his glory. He said, but what's most important and what's most glorious to God is not the healing of the blind, but the healing of the spiritually blind. And listen, and God has now, because if you look at verse 52, look at verse 52 in your Bible. Hopefully you haven't put it away. 52 is important. He says, Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Remember, well, you've been saved. And look what he said. And immediately he recovered his sight. And what did he do? And he followed him on the way. That, that, That phrase, followed him on the way, or that, that phrase, uh, followed him on the way, literally could be read, followed him on the same road. What did he do? This blind beggar started following Jesus. Why? Because you know what evangelism is? Evangelism is simply one blind beggar telling another blind beggar where to get healing. That's what evangelism is. We've complicated it, but all it is, it's just one beggar telling another beggar, hey, here's where you can get help for your time of need. Here's where you can get help for the true condition of your soul. That's all evangelism is. And and the verb that is used here means that he didn't go do this one day, and he didn't go do this two days, and he didn't go do this three days. He went and did this day after day after day after day as long as he lived. Why? Because that's what happens in the, in the life of a Christian, is that we've such, had such an experience of salvation with Jesus, and our blinded eyes have been opened, and our days of begging Uh, for the crumbs from the world are over with. And finally, we have seen the light and and our souls have been satisfied. And all we can do in response to that and saying thank you to Jesus is that we go out and we tell other people where to get the help that they need. This same story is told in Luke chapter 18. And I like what Luke 18 says. In verse 40, it says, So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. 
Luke says that he threw his coat off and that he jumped up and he went to Jesus. But listen, when he went to Jesus, he was still blind. Yeah, he jumped up, he sprang up, and he went. But hey, nobody gets to Jesus without somebody else taking them to Jesus. This morning, listen, you and I have been saved to be those people that Jesus wants to be brought to him because he wants to do something great in their life. He wants to do a work of salvation in their life. And listen, and there are people that are eager and ready to come to Jesus that if the invitation will simply come, they will spring up, but they still need somebody to bring them to Jesus. Who is that? That's us. That's what we've been saved to do. We've been saved to bring others to Christ. But let me read you Mark 10, 49 in closing from the NIV. Okay? Write this down. This is, I, I wish this was up on the screen because I, I just, seeing it is so much better than even hearing it. But I'll, I'll try to do a good job. Mark 10, 49 in the EIV reads this way. Jesus stopped. Remember, Jesus stood still. Jesus called him. All right? So he calls the blind man. And before he sprung up, or before he took his coat off, sprung up and went to Jesus, or was carried to Jesus by these people, listen to what the people said to the blind man. This is what we get to do. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So let me ask you a question. How do we call people to Jesus? Well, listen to this. This is pretty good. Cheer up. On your feet, he's calling you. Huh? How do you like that? How do you call people to Jesus? Hey, cheer up. Get up. Because the, the Messiah is calling you. The Savior is calling you. The one who can do something about your condition is calling you. This is a great day. Get up. Cheer up. And I will take you to the one who's calling you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a message, what a message we have. We have the message that we say to those who are blind and who are begging and who are in, in great need. We can look at them in all truthfulness and all honesty this morning, and we can say to them, cheer up, get up. I will take you to Jesus. For he is calling you. May that be our evangelism. May, may that be the way that we tell people about you. Cheer up. There's good news. Christ has died for you. Get up. He's waiting. Come on. I'll take you to him. He's not only waiting. He's calling you to come. He's, call, he's calling you to come because he wants to answer your request. And not only answer, and not answer it partially, but answer it in full.
Lord, may this be true of us. Those of us who have were blind, but now we see, may we be engaged in bringing other blind beggars to you. And if one or two or three that are here or watching online are blind, may they hear you calling this morning and may someone close to them say, come on, cheer up. I'll go with you. Jesus is calling. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing one more song together this morning.